Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, and looking forward to this next synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. So if you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and everyone knows that now, so I need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Michael Seville. And we kind of stopped writing them, or we haven't written anything that's uh, that's uh, um, been elevated to that status in the church. Probably we should be thinking about things like that. We shouldn't we shouldn't necessarily think that uh, we need to be frozen in time in terms of those uh, uh, documents being our standards. At the same time, they're yeah. documents. <laughs> they I are. Really and I'm not diving to the three forms of unity. Yeah. And I wouldn't, I would never say they're insufficient because I've loved them. Right. I just, I think, uh, I think there's just, I wouldn't even want to get rid of them. I would only want to build upon them. Here's, here's something. Denominational state. I mean, we, we put together, you know, we did the human sexuality report, but Mm -hmm. you could, I mean, a a few years back, of course they had the Nashville statement that was put together. Uh, The, the PCA didn't, adopt that as a confession of the church, but the assembly did pass a motion of uh, approving it, um, Mm -hmm. basically commending it to the churches and so forth. So maybe there are things like that that can be done where um, our best scholars on these issues write things that will be helpful to the church that will, and especially serve the church. I mean, in terms of, I mean, the goal here is always pastoral, missional, uh, it would be good to have documents that that help people to understand these issues in a biblical way. Yeah, I do still see, and I, I, I still I'm not pushing one way or the other because I, I, I people get nervous when you start talking about adding confessions and stuff. I, I get that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I just I keep thinking like, what what power would there be? Let's say if the the CRC and the PCA and and some of these orthodox denominations could could get together. We could get multiple denominations to get together and write a statement on human sexuality. And write not even a statement. I would say would be something, but even write a confession stating who we are sexually. And we could get a whole bunch, not just the CRC, but other people to kind of sign on. And say, yeah, this is who we are, and this pushes back against 
this cultural flow? Like, would that help us uh, actually missionally be able to to speak accurately, correctly to people? I don't know. I just, it's, uh, it's something I, I've been thinking about quite a bit lately. It, it, well, maybe you do something like that. Um, and if it is helpful to the churches and uh, serve the serves the churches well, maybe over time uh, the churches receive. If it if uh, the churches see its benefit, maybe over time it would be adopted in a in a confessional. Yeah, yeah, because you're right. That's a good point because most of the confessions weren't written to be adopted; they were written as just helpful teaching tools. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. That's right. I've, personally. Again, as we're exploring this idea, you know, even on this very podcast right now, um, one thing to me that thinks that that could be helpful is we're bringing different reformed expressions, you know, basically into one room and sitting down and saying, let's hash out these issues. I could see that as extremely helpful. I do see one potential stumbling block, and I think I'd like both of your guys' thoughts on this, and that that is the issue of concupiscence. Uh, because historically, Dutch Reformed and Presbyterian, um, maybe not the PCA in the last couple of years, but uh, they've kind of struggled with full agreement as to the issue of concupiscence and you know internal inclinations or dispositions as sin. Uh, mm-hmm. So I personally, I think that would be something that actually would be a helpful conversation to bring to the table um, in regards to this matter. But I think that could also be an issue where people would kind of maybe leave the table. What do you think? Is that, I'm, I'm thinking back, is that what, there, there's an overture from uh, Southeast from US, Southeast, I believe. Yeah, yeah, from the Southeast uh, classes. Mm-hmm. It, I'm trying to remember, is it dealing with that? It is dealing with that, that's right. I think so, yeah. Yeah, and it, they, they brought it last year and they brought it this year. That would be, yeah, well, for us in the Christian Reformed Church, I, I'm trying to think back to how, uh the 72 how it was dealt with at that time but i yeah um yeah 73 go ahead yeah 73 uh, sorry 73 yeah 73 made the statement that the desire i i i can't i can't quote it directly but i'm if I remember correctly, it made the statement that the desire itself is not sinful, but taking action on it through lustful thoughts or, or, you know, homosexual activity is sinful. So sin 70 or 73 took a stance one way or that, but um, on that one. And so that conversation just keeps coming up, right? The PCA as well is, is in the middle of discussion on that. I, yeah, I've been telling everybody in the CRC, it will be coming up again. Um, it will yes. be coming up as a conversation we're going to have to have. Right now, we're not having that conversation because um, we we can't even get. To, we're we're still working through the the very basic understandings of this, whether we should affirm it or not. And so, once we can, you know, I think if we can make good progress at Synod twenty twenty three and kind of double down on what we've decided, that's going to open up the door then for us to have some of these more difficult conversations about is the desire itself. Should we call it sinful or what should we call it or whatever? Right. right. And, uh, um, but I think it would be, uh, those are the kind of conversations though, Willie, to kind of get to your point, I think it would be helpful for us to have even broader than just in the CRC. 
Mm-hmm. Like if we could create a document where we've got uh, agreement across denominational lines, but from faithful reformed people, denominations, we might be able to have that conversation in a, in a helpful way. I'm not sure. Just my it, two cents. It would be nice if that was the issue we were dealing with in the CRC. Right. Right. Because th- those, that to me, uh, from a pastoral perspective, uh, that's an important question. And of course, uh, you know, I've listened uh, to Rosaria Butterfield and and mm-hmm. others. Um, uh, who is who is the gentleman that recently uh, gave the talk on abide? It was Christopher. What's his last name? Yuan. Uh, Yuan. Yes, as well. And uh, I've I've listened to both of them and and discussed that very issue. That that is that's the issue we I would yeah. like to be discussing, not whether the the action itself is sinful, which I think. I think, I mean, the, we should be clear on that much. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's well, getting the desire and the temptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, uh, I, I keep trying to remind people, that's the goal of all of the things that we're doing at Synod is to get to the more helpful things for, you know, understandings of things for people. This isn't just a heady thing and this isn't just a legalistic thing. It's not just we're going to hammer these churches, but, and, and even, you know, people kind of have rebuked me a little bit or even abide a little bit and say, you're focused on this. Why can't you be focused on the people and the pastoral care side of it? And it's like, for one, we are, that's mm-hmm. always my response. If you knew me in my pastoral ministry, I am talking to people who are struggling with same-sex attraction and transgender identities. I am ministering to them personally, regularly. Um, but even denominationally, we're not focusing so much on pastoral care because we can't even agree whether we can affirm it or not. Mm-hmm. And so if we can get to the point where we say the act itself is sinful, um, then we can actually get to the point of figuring out how to now shepherd people and talk about some of the nuances of that. But we can't even get to the pastoral care part because we can't agree on what whether it's sinful or not. Right. And so the goal is, like for me, the goal is at Synod 2023 for us to just be strong and take a stand and say, this is where we're at. And now from here on out, we're going to move forward trying to figure out how to live into that and how to carry out that doctrine in the daily lives of people so that we can love people, we can care for them, all of those things. But we're not talking about this part of it anymore. We're going to stand here and we're going to move forward because I think that's actually what's good for our congregations and the people in them. Yeah, absolutely. It, it needs, it needs to, this debate needs to end. It needs to be over um, and, and and we need to resolve it and whoever stays or whoever leaves, but the, but the matter has to to end. We, if we keep dragging this out and we can't end the, and there's continual debate in our synods about whether uh uh, whether these issues, whether it is sin or not, and so forth, uh, it'll, you know, we won't, we won't be able to get to the real issues that we need to be dealing with in our churches and the and the pastoral care issues that that you mentioned. Uh, the, our churches need a clear word on, on this matter, and uh, we we in our churches need to be able to uh, uh, speak with with clarity and and. Our young people need to to be hearing uh, what what the Word of God says, and they need the clarity so that they can navigate the issues that they're confronting around them. 
Yeah, 100%. Yeah, they need us, right? I feel like the the living in the the mystery that, you know, mystery is a great word in a lot of ways, but some people like it too much and don't want clarity. And by just hanging in that, we're leaving our people just hanging. And it's actually not very pastoral or loving because they just kind of float around and don't know where to to land on certain things. Yeah, I, th- I think it would be very unfortunate for our churches if this just drags on and on and on without, without, um, you know, I, I've, I've always said, I just want to know where the CRC is. I mean, if, if it's, if it's not going to maintain the, the confession, biblical confessional position, well, I just want to know that so that, that, uh, my church and, and myself can, can act accordingly and so forth, but I just need to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are there. Like we, we can't just keep in this muddy water. I know there's, you know, and I've talked, uh, I've had a few of them reach out to me, you know, better together. And they're hoping that we can find some third way, some middle way on here on this. And I just, there's no way I just, and even when, when the better together people talk, even, you know, cause I, I believe them. I don't think they're lying when they say they have some people who are, you know, conservative on matters of sexuality and some who are progressive. But even when I hear either of them talk, I think you're probably not talking to the vast majority of the Christian Reformed Church because most people in the Christian Reformed Church, and I would say based on the votes last year, 70% of the Christian Reformed Church says there's no third way on this. Like right. there, we can't, there's no, how do we work, walk together on this when we see the world and the church and God's word so differently. And there, and with, with uh, better together, their, 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 their whole, their, their, the way they're presenting it, uh, unity on non-salvation oh, issues. I was just going to hit on that. Yes. But these are salvation issues. And if you're telling a person uh, that uh, their sin is not sin, then you're denying them the, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the call to repentance and the the forgiveness available in the gospel for their sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Uh, one of the things I've been uh, kind of harping on for a long time now is, you know, people's presuppositions, the lens through which they see things and better together third way has, you know, in their outset, their declarative statement, this is a non-salvific issue. That's their opening presupposition that they lead out with these conversations. Well, we don't even agree on that. Exactly. So how can we agree on any other matter concerning human sexuality moving forward? There is no third way. Uh, it is yeah. either a, a salvific or a non-salvific issue. And there is no, well, I don't know. You might go to heaven. You might go to hell. No, uh, the world is only composed in two kinds of people, the kind that go to heaven and the kind that go to hell. And if we're going to be loving to our people, then we ought not to say there is a way in which we can compromise on salvific issues. Uh, This is either going to be something we are going to declare strongly and boldly that this is sinful and in need of repentance of, but there can be deliverance from if your trust is in Jesus Christ as he's offered in the Gospels. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And I think uh, even Paul Vanderclay recently in one of his videos said, this whole like salvific, non-salvific language, it's really a non-starter. It's not getting anybody anywhere to, 
to try to debate this. And he didn't go into the details of it. So this is my own extrapolation of that. But even like there are just doctrines that maybe are non-salvific that are going to, I think this is one, not, this is a salvific issue, right? But there are even other doctrines that are non-salvific, but they're going to touch on salvific issues, right? I mean, anybody who's taught, I've taught systematic theology a lot over the years. And every time any, every, every point of doctrine enmeshes with every other point of doctrine. I mean, they're, they're just so tightly woven together. And when you get off on one point, it really tweaks everything and it kind of skews your understanding and your view. So it isn't really a, a, it's not a starting point. And man, if we're going to talk about non-salvific matters, I mean, we could like, how do you function together? I mean, this is, there's even just logistical reasons. Like how can we even function as a denomination when we disagree on this matter? I mean, we, we, I mean, the issue of infant baptism, we, we don't see that, you know, with our Baptist brothers, we don't see that as a salvation issue in that way. But if they, uh, if a CRC church decided we're not going to practice infant baptism, we don't believe in it. Well, they have to leave at that point. You know, it's it's yeah. not a salvation issue, but it, you, we're not going to be in, uh, they can't, we can't be in covenant together because of that very point. Yeah, exactly. And then, and and then the question is, let's just keep rolling with that analogy. If a, if a Christian Reformed church decides they're not going to baptize infants, why would they want to stay in the Christian Reformed church? Yeah. Right. And I don't think anybody would say, well, you should just stay. Nobody would say that. And yet on this issue, it's like we disagree with the Christian Reformed church, but we should be able to stay and keep disagreeing with the Christian Reformed church on this. And to me, I'm not even, I just think it's craziness that, that that's even a thing. And, and really, you know, one of the things, another, another thing that has been interesting as you read through the list of, of the better together board members, right. And there are a lot of people on there. I respect and appreciate a lot of ways. I've had really good conversations with a number of them. So I'm not trying to rip them. It may be taken that way, but I'm not, I'm just saying that like a lot of them are what many people would see as institutionalists, right? They, they've been just part of the kind of, especially the new list that they put out, you know, they intentionally put out this advisory. Yeah. The advisory list of all of the, the big names in the CRC, right. Which probably to be honest, if, if based on the people that I talk to who are, who could care less about the big names in the CRC that probably hurt them. Mm-hmm. It didn't give them the pull. A lot of people are like, yeah, those are all the people that got us to the place where we're at now. This is kind of part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the problem with institutionalists is they, they want to work to save the institution. And, uh, and what the CRC has been doing for a very long time is seeking to save the institution, but losing our mission, right? Mm-hmm. And we just talked about this last week with uh, President Hoekstra and Todd Zeidema from Dort University this uh, this quote that John Calvin says, like, we must not for the sake of living, lose the reason for life itself, right? And so just even our own lives, we shouldn't try to like, save our lives and then lose the reason for living. And it's the same with an institution. And this is what the CRC has been doing. We've been trying to throw out our mission, actually, in the name of trying to just survive. And so let's, and anytime any institution does that, they die. Um, and, and you think about it, this is, um, 
well, this is going to be really morbid, but it's true. Um, you think of, you've watched people do this. I guarantee you've watched people who've retired and lost all sense of mission and have just kind of decided, oh, I don't have to work anymore. I'm just going to sit around and watch TV or whatever. And they just fade away. Um, you watch that in the lives of people. They lose the reason for living itself. And, uh, and it's really sad. And you watch that with institutions as well. They just kind of lose that. They try to just save their life and they just fade away. But, but if we keep living on mission, yes, we're going to anger some people. And some people are going to say, we don't want anything to do with that. But other people are going to say, that's exactly what we want. We want to be a part of that. And they'll come in. And uh, I've been saying that for so long that I think if the CRC would just stand and proudly say, here's who we are. And if we could get some leaders in our denomination that are willing to stand up and say, this is who we are. This is not who we are. And they're willing to anger some people, maybe. Um, I think I think the CRC would start to flourish once again because we would finally be on mission and people would be saying, I want to be part of that mission too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we we don't, uh, we shouldn't see our denomination as an end in itself. It's it's uh, Christ's uh, uh, our our purpose is the glory of Christ and uh, and the good of His people and the, we want to see our churches doing well and and uh, the the whole institution of the CRC the purpose is to serve our our people and to serve the cause of Christ and His gospel. Yeah, I mean, and the same thing applies right down. Um, I would want to remind pastors too. The same thing applies to our local churches as well, right? Because local churches get into that same death spiral. They start losing members and then they start making all of their decisions based on, well, we can't do that because we'll lose some more members and we can't lose members because then our church is going to die. And they stop living on mission um, and they start trying to live just to live. And that's just a recipe for your church to die. Yeah. Um, where rather, rather, I would rather lead a church that's saying we're on mission. We're, we're heading in this direction. We're, we're honoring God. We're following him. And yes, we might lose some members and we might even die, right? We might even die in the process of serving this mission, but we're going to be faithfully moving forward, trying to, trying to serve and honor God. Um, and usually those churches that are living like that are, are functioning like that. People are saying, Hey, that's something I want to be a part of. And, and, and they're actually thriving because they're living on mission. Yeah. So that's a, a word to, I've just been noticing that as I've been talking to lots of churches who are in the midst of struggle and the main conversation that's going on is we can't do that because we don't want to lose members. And I keep trying to encourage them. You can't make decisions that way. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to make decisions. Does this please God? Okay. Then that's how we make decisions. And if people leave, they leave. If people come, they come, but we just need to be faithful in the midst of this and God blesses faithfulness. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's always, you know, in, in what we're doing in our church and our worship in whatever, you know, people, we have all our different opinions and so forth, but we always need to ask, well, what, what will please the Lord? What does God want from us? What is, the, what is the Lord uh, teaching us in his word to do? And we, we must, you know, we go back to what, what God is seeking from us. Yeah. Yeah. I, now, I Michael, think no, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, well, I was just going to say, if we kind of use uh, that to lay our framework for 
our ecclesiology and our missiology, you know, what is most pleasing to God over against what pleases the culture or the pagans or, you know, you, you can fill in the blank after that, then I really do think that we will see some better fruit from the ministries that our hands are at work in because where, where faithfulness is to be found, uh, fruit will always follow. Um, and that's, I, I said, I think I said to the editor of the banner at Synod 2019, they were talking about basically ministry and pragmatics and, oh, we need to do this because we'll get young people and we can't do that because then we'll, we'll lose young people. I remember saying, and I don't think this got published, but I said, pragmatics in ministry will always be the door out of the church, never the door into the church. Faithfulness and orthodoxy will be the door into the church. And that's not just for young people. Uh, that's for people in any generation and and any kind of viewpoint from from any from all tribes and tongues and nations, like Revelation says. Uh, so be faithful in what you're called to do, and the fruit will follow. Yeah if, yeah, if faithfulness to the Lord means that we lose people, then we never really had them. Uh, mm-hmm. So I mean, if if the if 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 doing what the Lord would have His people to do in our instruction and in our worship and so forth. It, 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 that, that's, our, our goal is to please him, to, to, to honor Christ in all things, to, to proclaim his gospel for the salvation of his people. And we trust that the Lord will bless that, that he will be pleased, that the fruit will come, though, though we might not always see it when we wish, that the Lord will bless his word. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's what I was going to say. Faithfulness always produces fullness, and I would always add the word eventually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? Because, you know, I mean, it'll produce different kinds of fruit as well, right? So on the one hand, I do believe faithfulness will always produce fruit in this world eventually as well. But, But eventually, sometimes faithfulness, like in this worldly sense, like is we're just going to see it fall down, 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 but it, it will produce fruit in, in the world to come, right? A, a heavenly reward um, is, is even greater than what we could see in, in this world. And, you know, one of the, one of the passages I've been really spending a lot of time meditating on is from Hebrews 11. And uh, it's talking about Abraham. Uh, no, it's talking about Moses. And it says, by faith, when Moses, or Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And uh, I've been meditating on that because I think we're, we're coming into a season of life and culture where we're going to have to train our own hearts and our congregations to be able to see the reproach of Christ as a greater reward than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Um, We have to be able to train our own hearts that way. Like faithfulness to Christ is going to, in this world, not see fruit. I don't think eventually it's going to cause shame and consternation. and, um, And the only way we can actually see that as a greater wealth then the the then kind of worldly rewards is for us to look beyond and say no this is this is earning an eternal heavenly reward with Christ like we have to 
we have to long more to hear Christ say, or the Father say to us on that day, well done, good and faithful servant, than to hear the world say that to us. Um, and so, um, but faithfulness is going to produce that good fruit where we hear, well done, enter into the joy of your master. As we kind of come to the close here, um, Michael, we always give um, our interviewees an opportunity to offer some final thoughts. Uh, so in light of everything that is happening right now, uh, in lieu of an upcoming synod, again, that is probably going to be uh, very difficult in many ways, what are some words, uh, first, to some of the delegates that are going, and then second, what are some words that you would offer to other pastors and church leaders and also our listeners here on this podcast? Um, I think for uh, the encouragement to those that would be delegates is, um, especially if you're a first-time delegate, is is uh, it, meet with the people, enjoy, enjoy that time. It's actually... I, I did not have any idea what an enjoyable time it would be to be at Synod and spend that time with people, uh, spend, enjoy that time at, uh, in, in uh, conversations with people. But uh, during that time, uh, you know, on the floor at times, there will be uh, lots of, uh, you know, there, there, there's, there are going to be emotional speeches. Uh, there, there's going to be um, a lot of, uh, uh Please, uh, from both uh, sides, um, but uh, our responsibility is is to uphold the word of God, to be courageous, and even as I, I was I was preaching yesterday, you know, nobody likes uh, the topic of discipline, but discipline is not we when we discipline in the church that is not we don't do that in anger. It's not a, it's not wrath discipline. People think love and discipline are on the opposite sides. No. Uh, in many cases, the loving thing to do is discipline. And so when, when um, someone, when a person or church is uh, turning away from the word of God or turning into the ways of sin, uh, the loving thing to do is to go after them. It's not to let them go and run headlong into sin, which is misery and destruction, but in love to to call them to faith and to if as needed, the church does need to discipline. So we should not be we should not not back away from that or see it as unloving. If it is needed, if it is what the Word of God requires, we need to have courage to do that. Um, what was your other question, Willie? Well, my other question was just to other church leaders, you know, who aren't delegates to synod and who maybe have no desire to ever be a delegate to synod, but are just faithful in what God has been calling them to do in their churches. Yeah, I, one of the things I, I really think, and I, I alluded it to it earlier, is just so many people. So I teach doctrine and Bible at the high school. I try to do catechism and 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 uh, te- preach uh, doctrinal sermons here at the church, but you know there is such doctrinal weakness overall in in so much of the church today, and so I would just emphasize the importance of providing that sound instruction. Uh, yes, uh, the other, yesterday I was preaching on the issue of on the doctrine of the antithesis, the antithesis between 
faith and unbelief between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan, uh, no neutrality. I mean, that's a mm-hmm. that's an issue today. People want a neutral way somewhere in the middle. But ultimately, in terms of heaven and hell, uh, righteousness versus wickedness in the Bible, there is no neutral ground. People need that framework as they approach the issues of, of the day and to be built up in sound doctrine in order to to navigate all that is being uh, all that people are being inundated with today through the just the the all that information that is coming our way they need a foundation a strong biblical worldview in order to navigate that and so <laughs> encouragement to pastors and church leaders certainly to seek to cultivate that in the lives of their people that's all we have for this week If you want to help us out and support The Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is head on over to themessyreformation.com. Look in the menu bar and find Join the Reformation. By clicking on that, you can sign up for our newsletter where you'll get episodes sent right directly to your email inbox, and it will give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head on over there and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned for our next episode, which is our conversation with Darren Cornelis. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.